it's already happening, Matt. I, I'm not I'm not a paid expert. I've never pretended to be. I'm definitely an organic marketer, but I work and I collaborate with a lot of paid advertisers. And I've I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say to me over the last few months, "Oh yeah, Facebook ads, no bueno. I'm not doing that anymore. I moved over to YouTube. We we get way better results. We don't get shut down. Our our account doesn't get shut down." Blah, 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 blah. I just, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that conversation right now. So it's, it's, we're already seeing a, a massive influx of uh, paid advertisers leaving Facebook and going to YouTube. Yeah. I stopped advertising on Facebook years ago because of that. I just, I couldn't stand all the, uh, like sometimes my ad would get disapproved over something that like had nothing to do with the ad. Good morning, marketers. We're back for episode number two. And, um, Wait, is episode, episode three, number dude. Three. We are on episode number three, and some crazy things happened last night at the Oscars, and we got to talk about it. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, man, and I feel bad for Chris Rock, and and, and I feel bad for Will Smith too. But um, yeah. both uh, Andrew and I were talking about like, you know, should we talk about this? Does it relate to to creators? And I think it does. I think it actually relates to creators and also uh, to our culture. Every single post on Facebook uh, this morning, I opened it up. Everyone was talking about their opinions on uh, on what happened. So I think it is very interesting. Um, and by the way, everyone should know we are recording this the day after it happens, and this episode is coming out. Uh, next Monday, so in a week from now. Uh, right now, we're on a, on a week delay with these episodes. Soon, we're going to get, we'll be a bit faster, but um, with all our post production and all that kind of stuff right now, we're giving ourselves a week. So, just in case anything else happens between now and a week from now, um, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Um, so, Andrew, let's get your reaction first. I'm very curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, Why do you want to so talk like, about this? Like everybody else, we, uh, I, my, my feeds, we're inundated with uh, what happened. I'm a Will Smith fan. I'm a Chris Rock fan. And I, I watched the clip a couple of times. And it's uh, like, yeah, this definitely ties into the content creation world. This definitely ties into the marketing world. Will Smith has a YouTube channel. And, and we, I know we're going to be diving deeper into some, some YouTube content later on in this episode. Uh, Matthew McConaughey has a YouTube. So many celebrities and athletes and actors have YouTube channels these days. And uh, Will Smith is def I would definitely consider Will Smith a content creator. He's probably out of all the actors out there, he's probably a lot more active on the different social media platforms than uh, than the vast majority of everybody else out there. It's it's funny. I, I remember reading an article a couple of years ago. The title was "Why Is Will Smith Becoming an Influencer?" You know, <laughs> because because he's he's clearly got the the clouts and uh, the uh, the attention uh, uh, in the marketplace already without becoming an influencer. But he's he clearly is a fan of creating engaging co uh, content and then last night chris rock made a at the oscars I, did, I don't watch the oscars but i saw this clip a couple times chris rock snapped a joke against uh, that was i guess you could say was aimed at uh, uh jada uh, will's wife and there was i noticed will actually chuckled like he actually laughed um, she did not look impressed or happy at all. And then the camera cut back to, to Chris Rock. And, and then the next thing you know, you see Will Smith walking up on stage and, and Chris Rock was looking pretty excited. He was looking pretty, pretty thrilled to be joined up on stage there by the, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Will Smith. And then out of nowhere, Will just smacks him right across the face and everybody's talking about it. And my initial reaction was, well, I was a little disappointed because in my experience, whether it's business, whether it's your personal life, any time emotions run high, people typically do not make the best decisions when they're emotional, when they're in an emotional state. Think, excuse me, think of yourself. Like uh, when you look at, at the history of your life, and I certainly can tie myself into this, whenever I would found myself in a more emotional state, I don't typically make the best decisions in, the, in those times. So, I mean, violence... I'm not a violent kind of person. I think uh, I think that was kind of a childish reaction. Uh, and um, ultimately, when you consider the the circumstances, the environment, 
and uh, knowing the sense of humor Chris Rock has and, and what he is paid there to do, what's uh, what all of those Oscar hosts and award ceremonies hosts are, are paid to do is to entertain. And sometimes they take some shots at people in the audience. And and that's what uh, that's what we as consumers and viewers are certainly expecting. So, yeah, I thought the reaction was a little childish. I, I, I commend him for standing up and defending his woman. And I'm all about that. But um but in today's world, uh, like what you said at the beginning of this year, Matt, I do feel bad. I actually legitimately feel bad for both of them because they're both going to receive a kind of, a, I would assume, a lot of unwanted attention over the, yeah. the, the next short term. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if um, Chris Rock wants to press charges or take legal action no, and, and said, whatnot. Uh, there's all kinds of dr- drama. Yeah. You know, my thought on this was initially was like, because the joke was geared towards, I guess, I mean, usually in comedy, you you know, it's kind of, I think, frowned upon or forbidden to like make fun of people's medical conditions, right? So yeah. Yeah, that's the fair. joke was geared towards G.I. Jane too. So I think, you know, some people don't know what G.I. Jane was, but it was uh, Demi Moore. Demi Moore, right? She played, yeah. uh, you know, a military person, a female, and that shaved her head. I think it's actually a true story, um, um, G.I. Jane. So, oh, cool. you know, he's, he was cracking a joke at, at um, Jada, you know, kind of being in J.J. tune. And I wondered if he even knows that she had alopecia or she shaved her head. Because I think she looks good, even with a shaved head. And she has had short hair before. Right? Oh, long time. Dude, she yeah. played an amazing character on uh, Gotham, on the, uh, the TV show Gotham, where she had super, super short hair. Yeah. And she looked, am- she looks amazing. With she looks good. Super, she, super yeah. short cut. Even yeah. if she, whatever it was, like, she looks good. But obviously, I could completely imagine, like, what it feels like, especially for a woman. I mean, men go bald at certain ages all the time, I guess. I don't know. But, but for women, I could see that being, <laughs> you know, a very traumatic experience to, to go through alopecia, right? So for her, it's, a, it's an emotional journey. I, I look into it a little bit, and she recently just came out talking about how she's struggling with this. So she must be emotional about that. But there's a chance that he didn't even know. He might have just thought that she just shaved her head. And that, to me, makes the whole thing yeah. more funny from his perspective because he's probably going, what the hell is going on? Right? He didn't see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, but he must have been so much – like if if he did not know, like if he was making fun of her alopecia, I think that's not cool on, on Chris Rock's part, okay? Um, but if he didn't know, it just to me, like if you watch that clip again and you see his reaction and just imagining him not even realizing what was so offensive, you know, yeah. for, for Will to act, react that way. But I also think if Will would have just gone up to him and just whispered in his ear and said apologize or something like that, that would have been cool. Oh, that would have been so slick. I agree. That would have, I think that I would think have, that been, would have been cool. That would have been the gentleman approach. But then on the flip side, what if it was like Kevin Hart hosting? And Kevin Hart has a lot more clout. Would he have done that? Or if it was The Rock hosting and The Rock is a huge guy, and would he go and slap The Rock? You know? So that's where I feel bad for Chris Rock, because he's a nice guy. He seems humble. He's, you know, not a big guy he's small and he's not like huge in terms of clout and stuff i mean he's you know amazing comedian i've loved him for years um but that's why i feel really bad for him because he got slapped by another man at the oscars and it's like all over the place it's not a good look for him too right so yeah yeah because you know, he's, he's been disrespected publicly and yeah you could you could see his face right after it happened he was stunned he was for for a comedy for a, excuse me for a comedian to not find the words you could tell that he was in shock in that moment and you can't help but feel bad for him in that moment I I do feel bad for everyone involved including Jada I mean it it's it's a dramatic thing that everyone's talking about now and it'll be interesting to see yeah. how this all plays out now but what's now. more funny is I didn't know the Oscars were happening and the way me I too. found out is someone posted a story <laughs> last night of the of it. And I was like, what happened? And I like right away went to YouTube. I was like, what's going on? And I just started watching all these videos to figure out what's going on. And then I saw also Will Smith. He ended up winning his first Oscar. And then he apologized to the Academy, but he did not apologize to Chris. And I think that he should. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, he he was apologizing and whatever. And then uh, to, you know, saying, I hope they invite me back or, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think. Um, it's kind of rude uh, what he did, and I don't. And, and I also, I um, 
a, a big believer, a big supporter of comedy and allowing comedy to be offensive. I think that that is super important for our culture and our society, that comedians can still crack jokes and make fun of people, right? Um, and so that's a big thing. Like I, you know, I, I took stand-up comedy classes. I've studied, studied some comedy. I mean, I'm definitely no comic, but... You know, I think it's just important that comedians are allowed to make jokes and not get slapped across the face, whether, you know, metaphorically or, or, or physically. So that's the other side of this that I don't like. Yeah. And Will Smith is also a comedian and, uh, and he should respect that side. But I also think that you should not be making fun of people's medical conditions. So I'm very curious if Chris Rock actually knew she had alopecia or just thought that she had a shaped head. And on the flip side, he might not even be writing his own joke. He probably had a team of people writing the joke. So who knows if that person who wrote the joke knew, you know? That, those are all really good points. And it's almost like we don't have enough context right now to really right. deem who's in the right and who's in the wrong. But uh, you, you raise a really good point there because we're talking about something that's even – this is a much larger conversation about uh, censorship and how how certain people are allowed to say certain things and get away with certain things and like you raised a really good point there like what if that was the rock up there making that joke would will have reacted the same way will and the rock have the exact same agent the rock has a lot more clout and, and dominance in the marketplace than than chris well, he's rock. just a big chris guy is a, yeah like, can you imagine physically what if he slapped the rock and the rock took him down that would have been amazing <laughs> you know imagine so <laughs> Yeah. But well, here's the he, other thing about this. Go yeah. Sorry. Well, the only thing I was going to don't forget where you were going to say there, but the only thing I was going to say is it's okay. Let's tie it back to the fact that both you and I had no idea the Oscars were happening. The Oscars over how many years has been yeah. basically holding on by their fingernails, trying to be relevant, trying to retain the attention. Hollywood in general has been losing a lot of attention to platforms like YouTube, right? And yeah. and I didn't know the Oscars were happening. You didn't know the Oscars were happening. And what's the first thing I did this morning when I saw some of these things popping up in my feeds? I went to YouTube. I went to YouTube to consume That's the first thing I did. on YouTube. That's the first thing I did. That's <laughs> hilarious. But here's the other part of this. This is why I think this is where it really ties into the creator space. And I've wanted to talk more about this. I, I brought yeah. this up to you before, is that it's about dealing with criticism and how that affects the emotional well-being of creators. And the reason I bring this up is because a few months ago, Will Smith was also in the media a lot because of the dynamic of his relationship with, with Jada, right? And people were calling him, I think the word is like a, uh, I just learned this word, it's like a cockled, cockled, where like you're, you don't mind your wife sleeping with other people. So oh, people I didn't were know like, any of this. Okay. Yeah, so me. people were like making fun of him and like, I would say almost like demoralizing him or like kind of like, I don't know what the right word is, like making him like he's the, he's not the alpha in the relationship and stuff, you know? So like a okay. lot of men were making fun of him, but I actually admire that they can have that relationship. They've been together for so long. Clearly they love each other. I think that actually takes more of an alpha man to be able to, you know, do that. But that's my, just my personal opinion. But I think that all of that, cause that was a lot of drama. I didn't pay too much attention when that was going on, but I thought they were doing a lot of interviews, you know? And it seemed weird that, you know, they were like really putting their, you know, their relationship up in, you know, into the media. And it was a kind of like a weird dynamic. It didn't, it seemed like it didn't make them look good. Right. And so maybe there was some of that and kind of that media pushback that Will Smith was getting, you know, a few months back. I don't know how long that was six months ago. So I feel like that played into it. I feel like his initial reaction was laughing, looks over at Jada. She looks hurt. Maybe she started crying. And that right away, he was like, you know, ain't no one going to talk to my woman like that, you know? And he just, yeah, and then the, just, the alpha male in him kind of woke up and went, wait a second, I need to react. I need to do something. I'm sure when he, like, was, when he was marching up to Chris Rock, I, it would be interesting to, to be inside of his head in that moment and be like, was he really planning on slapping him? Or is that something like just hit him in the moment? Like I said, people don't tend to make great decisions when they're emotional. And, and I agree with you, man. Comedians should, be, should have that we're walking a really dangerous line if we need to, uh, you know, censor all of these comedians uh, uh, for fear of hurting someone's feelings. That's, yeah. that's a, really that's what I'm worried line. about is that people are going to take this. They're not going to realize that like, it's not okay to make fun of someone's medical condition that I agree with, but I don't think that's where the media is going to take this. The media is going to take this with comedians shouldn't be making fun of people or yeah. hurting people's feelings, which is where I think this is going to, um, be bad for our culture or whatever you want to call that, right? That's where I'm not, I'm not 
you know, I hope Will Smith will somehow rectify it. Hopefully. Oh, he needs to apologize. Yeah. He, well, he needs to apologize. They both need to apologize. Yes. Well, it'd be interesting. I, I would, I would, I would, I think, I feel like Chris Rock might not have known or the person who wrote the joke might not have known. She had alopecia. So in that, yeah, in that situation, maybe it's not an apology. Maybe it's just like, Hey, listen, I want to clean the slate here. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 like, like we just, we, we, ultimately we just want to see the whole world just wants to see the two of them hug it out basically. And just like, yeah. Uh, you know, patch this up because like Chris Rock can say, listen, I had no idea your wife has been struggling with this medical condition. And, mm-hmm. and then I want, I would love to see, uh, Will say, Hey, listen, and I didn't react in a, in a very, um, uh, mature manner. And, you know, like, yeah. it, like as soon as all of the, the tensions kind of settle and I'd like to think everything's kind of settled by now, I feel like that would be the, 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 the outcome, the result that the whole world would like to see in this moment. Right. Because both of them are very visible, visible, uh, uh, celebrities there and they both have their audiences and they're, they certainly, if they want to, I haven't checked either of their social media accounts right now, but I'm, I'm sure they, they've got handlers and people saying, Hey, listen, let's just like zip it up right now. And then you'll have your chance to say something tomorrow or something. I don't know. I did check. Uh, Chris Rock follows Will Smith. I checked oh, yeah. last night and Will Smith does not follow Chris Rock. So I don't know if, I don't know if he just unfollowed him, but, uh, so that yeah. was, that was as of last night. So we'll see if uh, Chris Rock unfollows Will, then we'll know. They ain't no goodwill left. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was all right, great. All right. Let's, let's, let's let, let move on. We had to talk about this because uh, we both just, you know, I had a lot to say. But uh, we actually have a show planned today that's all about YouTube. Um, I've been working uh, with Andrew um, on the show. He's handling all the post-production. So everything you see on YouTube, that's all Andrew's doing all that. And one thing that we want to improve on is our thumbnails. So we are at the uh, kind of phase one of thumbnails. What we got to do is... Uh, I think we both agreed that we were going to take a lot of photos of ourselves doing multiple uh, facial reactions so we can have some nice HD um, thumbnails. But I do want to talk about uh, best thumbnails um, and how to make YouTube thumbnails. And I found a thread on Twitter by a guy named The J Alto, uh, where he had tagged someone who was producing the, some of the thumbnails for uh, Mr. Beast. So I shared this over with Andrew. And Andrew, I want to get your input here. I'm going to just open up these tabs. I think you're recording your screen as well. So yeah. If you want to open that up. Let's start with the Jay Atlas um, tweet talking about this. And I want you to take it away and talk about you know, your thoughts on best thumbnails. Where are we going to go with our thumbnails? So maybe people who are following along on the show. Um, I'd be interested to see kind of what, where we're at right now and where we're planning to take this. Um, and just, you know, importance of thumbnails overall. Yeah, there, we, we live in a really interesting, I'm going to, going to pause here actually, and just quickly scroll on my screen here, what uh, the web friendly YouTube channel looks like right now, because Matt, this is going to serve as like a historical record. Cause yeah, this right here, this is what our, our thumbnails are looking like right now for this brand new show that we just launched a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we acknowledge that uh, we need to raise our thumbnail game. And why is a thumbnail game so important for YouTubers and content creators? Because uh, a lot of experts will tell you that the thumbnail is responsible for like 70% of the click, right? Whereas the, because it, it, that's the, that's the, the visual element that's drawing your eye. It stops the scroll. And then in a micro moment, a micro decision, the end user then reads the title. And, and then if they're still intrigued, if they're still interested, if they're still hooked into like hmm, learning a little bit more about what that, this particular content is about, they're going to quickly glance into that time code in the bottom right corner. And if all the stars align, then the person will click because they've decided that this content, this bit of content is worth their time. And what's more valuable and important than someone's time and attention? Nothing. It's literally the most valuable asset on the planet. So there's, there's, it doesn't surprise me at all that Jay Alto, and by the way, I've been following Jay Alto and on Twitter for ages. The, uh, he does really, really great work. And, uh, and I try to keep a close eye on the, the, th- the YouTube thumbnail experts out there to see what kind of best practices they're sharing with their communities and whatnot, because it's such a huge part of, of uh, succeeding on on the YouTube platform, and uh, not not only that, but the there's an important relationship aspect that we need to quickly address here too before even jumping into some of these examples. The 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 hook, the intro soundbite, that first 30, 60 seconds of a YouTube video needs to deliver on the promise 
that the thumbnail and the title provided. Because if it, the thumbnail is too, quote, clickbaity, then, uh, then the reason why someone clicked, they're not, they're not being satisfied that they clicked for the right reasons. They're going to feel like they were tricked. They're going to feel like, wait a second, why did I click on this? This, this isn't what I was looking for. And then the person's going to bounce. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the YouTube AI can only deem if content is valuable or not by measuring uh, a user's engagement or uh, dwell time. It's also called dwell time or watch time, how much time they're, 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 how sticky the content is, if, if you will. Uh, so yeah, we got to talk about YouTube thumbnails and I'm sharing my screen here because I want, I want people to see where, where our thumbnails are right now. And we have lots of room to, to improve. <laughs> I'd love for you to break down some of the stuff that Jay's talking about in this Twitter thread. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, let's do it. This Jay, so Jay Alto, what does he say here? What do all of these thumbnails have in common? They've all been designed by Venture PSD. And I, I, I'll admit that I didn't actually wasn't familiar with Venture PSD until I saw this this thread that uh, Matt flagged for us. So uh, Jay Alto got to ask Venture PSD these four questions, and he didn't disappoint. Number one, how did you learn how to design uh, thumbnails? Uh, and uh, Venture PSD basically responded with like, I'm t entirely self-taught. Specific thumbnail tutorials on YouTube are pretty rare. Uh, they're not impossible to find. I've found some pretty good thumbnail uh, tutorials on YouTube. And at, but at the end of the day, he learned by doing. Uh, I've been fascinated by design since I was 13. I made thousands of rubbish designs before they started to look good. I love this feedback because this just comes back to best practices as far as putting the reps in. You got to put the reps in. You, people learn by doing. We're all wired a certain way. And it's, it's not like, yeah, this is what I got to say. Everyone, whether you're a graphic designer or a video editor or a content creator, you got to be willing to go through the suck phase. You got to be willing to suck before you can actually become the master, right? You got to be the Padawan learner before you become the Jedi master. Yes, I'm a geek. Uh, any response on uh, to that there, Matt, before we move on to the next tip? No, I completely agree. I just want to throw out, I just while you're reading that, I remembered that uh, my son has got a YouTube channel. It's called Super Epic Mr. Marcus. And I just got him designing his own thumbnails. So oh, you nice. can see the first, you know, 50 or so videos, I designed it. And now you can see his new thumbnail. I mean, six years old. I'm teaching him how to design these using Keynote on his iPad. And I'm just so proud of him. And he's getting better. So if you guys want to see what a six-year-old can do, you know, <laughs> check out his channel. Super epic, Mr. Marcus. I told Andrew before, all the good ones I designed, the crappy ones are his. Just <laughs> so we're uh, on the right page here on, on my design skills versus his. But at six years old, getting started, I'm sure by the time, you know, he's, you know, 13 or so, you know, he'll be rocking. Oh, he'll, he'll be putting in the reps in. And I, I think I have, to, I have to give him a shout out. That, oh, no. Yeah. Good on you. And I, I couldn't be more proud of uh, a young content creator. I mean, you're, you're definitely starting your son out on the right foot there. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, so yeah, the next uh, tip here that Jay also shares is what design tips would you give to creators? Number one, layout. Work out a good layout before you start. Think about your target audience and why they would click. Always ask yourself, give someone a reason to click. And, ult and they're probably going to cover this later on in another tip. But on ultimately, when it comes to layout, you're looking for like a, a, a more, more often than not, you're looking for a simple layout. Because if the eye is confused and you don't, the, per the end user doesn't know where to look because it's a really busy image you're much more likely to lose that person, right? Assets, take photos that are, are as interesting or exaggerated as possible. Spending time taking unique photos really pays off. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, great. Uh, what's the, the old saying? Good is great, but uh, different is better. And, uh, and that's because not only are you competing with someone's cell phone, because a cell phone is definitely competing for their attention, you're competing with their dog and their kids and their spouse, and you're trying to vie for their attention, right? And then ultimately, when they're on their, on their YouTube, on their mobile device or their laptop, they're going to see other thumbnails that your thumbnail is surrounded by. So give them a reason to click on yours and ignore everything else. This is something that people often, unfortunately, thumbnails tend to be like an afterthought. And uh, it's like someone's, uh, you know, they're, you're, you're making the content, you're editing the content, you're uploading it to YouTube, you're optimizing it. And there's in that last moment, you're like, oh, we need a thumbnail. And then you just go ahead and take a quick screenshot of uh, from the video or you you basically, you know, pardon the language, you know, let's bleep this out. You have the effort. And uh, and unfortunately, when you when you 
put in less than ideal effort on this aspect that is so vital, so important, then yeah, you can't really rely on just blowing it out of the park or getting incredible results on YouTube when when the uh, the thumbnail is such a huge part. We're not saying that you absolutely have to make the thumbnail before the video. Some content creators have a lot of success making the thumbnail before the video. Others find a lot of success making the thumbnail after the video. Matt talked about at the beginning of this that uh, me and him are going to create um, uh, an entire library archive of images of both of us just making different facial expressions. That's one strategy that YouTubers deploy. Another strategy is they just take a screen grab from the, the video itself. That's possible, but you really do need to rely on high, high quality production gear in order for your uh, graphic designer to capture an image that is going to be super clickable. Why is that the case? Because a video editor, oh, sorry, excuse me, a, a graphic designer will oftentimes have to zoom in on you, which will further degrade the image and make you even look more blurry and, and pixelated. Ultimately, in the foreground, you want you you everything in the foreground should be crisp and clear and colorful and I like just super super att attention grabby. Grabby is that a touch of grabby? Is that a term? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And then, uh, and then everything in the background should be washed out or blurry or or um, uh, not in focus and and uh, just more opaque, right? But uh, but yeah, it it definitely deserves your attention. So um, yeah, Matt, did you I remember to some to old school data on on um, on Facebook where they used to say faces, food, and animals would get the most yes. engagement. And I remember I used to teach that back in when I used to teach Facebook classes. It was like Facebook food and animals. So I wonder if there's some data like that from YouTube around thumbnails. Have they ever talked about that? Have you seen anything like that? They have. And more specifically, they actually do weigh heavily on faces. However, there's yeah. a caveat to that. Like if you are a product review YouTube channel or uh, 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 perhaps this is obvious, but if you're like an animal YouTube channel or a pet YouTube channel, then uh, putting faces on your thumbnails just are not going to be as applicable. Uh, you're going to mm -hmm. want, if you're uh, uh, like MKBHD or Think Media or any of those tech review channels, uh, gear review channels, they're going to have a picture of the camera, the webcam, the uh, the laptop, right, right. the camera, the the car. Yeah, uh, you're not going to. It doesn't make sense to put a face on the on the on the thumbnail. So it it is a like we're here, we're talking about like which creator makes the best thumbnails, and really, it, it like I'm going to give the answer that everybody hates that every good marketer provides. It depends. It just depends. It depends gotcha. on your audience. It depends on what they're looking for. It depends on uh, your industry, your vertical, and what uh, is going to be deemed the most clickable. But I to totally agree. Uh, people, pets, and food are definitely the most clickable images. So if you're if you're a brand new YouTuber and you're watching this right now, you can't go wrong if you just start with the, those three options and then. Pare it down from there, depending on the kind of content you're making. What's this uh, camera raw? I see this part of the tweet it says, use the camera raw tool to improve your color correction. What's camera raw? Yeah, camera right. raw. So I'm not, I need to preface this. I'm not a professional photographer or a videographer, but I work with a lot of uh, video editor, professional video editors and whatnot. And the, the camera, my understanding is that the camera raw tool means that the, the camera that you're capturing the content with is not imposing any kind of filter or um, editing aspect to it when you capture the, the content. You want the content to be captured in its most raw form so that the graphic designer will have more flexibility on the back end when it, when it comes time to them actually to develop the image. Yeah. And what do you think about this contrast? I've actually never seen this diagram before where it's showing if your primary color is yellow, then your complementary color is purple. If your primary color is blue, complementary is orange. I've never yeah. seen this before. Do you use this yeah. or? Yeah, this is this is a huge subject. Daryl Eves goes deep into this in his book, The YouTube Formula. Oh, this is this is huge. Uh, what I learned from Daryl Eves actually is the fact that uh, the color uh, s scheme that you use, the color um, strategy, actually contributes up to ninety percent of the end user's decision making process. And that just blew me away okay. when I realized that. So. Uh, yeah, you want to use colors that are complementary to one another. I mean, I think this goes with the uh, pretty self-explanatory. If you put white text on top of a gray background, it's going to be really hard to read the text, right? Now, mm -hmm. a, a huge tip that I learned from Daryl Eves that I need to share with, uh, with you right now, uh, is for the, the, if you want to really get dialed with your, your color coordination and your color strategy, a really great resource that a lot of people don't, uh, don't uh, fully leverage is sports teams because sports teams have literally invested tons of money and effort and resources to go through all of this color psychology stuff. 
and they've done the hard work with regards to finding which uh, colors look really good with other colors, supporting colors. So if you already have a good sense of a primary color that you want to associate with your brand, well, go find a sports team that is using a very similar color and see what kind of supporting colors they're using in their branding, because that will point in the right direction. It's a really great uh, tool, and too many people don't put enough effort into the, uh, the the color psychology side of things. I mean, Matt, you've got a very, very specific blue uh, that you use uh, with WebFriendly and uh, one of your supporting colors is obviously white and it really pops on any digital medium, any device. And you'll see that a lot of people in thumbnails, what they'll do is they'll over-exaggerate their colors too, right? So when a graphic designer is finally done doing their job, what I typically provide is in, in best practices and good guidance for graphic designers, because just because you're an amazing graphic designer doesn't mean you're immediately going to be an amazing thumbnail uh, designer. There really are they really are different games. So what I typically recommend the graphic designers that I work with is when you're done making the image, increase the sharpness, the contrast, and the um, uh, was the third one, the sharpness, the contrast. Oh, there's a third element there. And I totally, I'm spacing on it right now. Increase all of those elements by 20%. And when you get to that point where you're looking at the image and you're almost thinking, Ooh, that looks a little too much. It's probably perfect because mm. why most people consume YouTube content on their mobile devices. And you want that tiny, tiny little image to pop on a tiny little screen. So yeah, that's how important color is. Do you think is. that we should be incorporating orange? into our thumbnails because where our primary color is blue and according to this chart complementary color would be orange yeah do you think that we should do some of that yeah that's not a bad idea at all actually that's something that we should definitely be talking to the uh, the graphic designer about yeah i completely let's try it out now, now i'm looking at this chart and i'm thinking i had a designer just working on my on my on my website and uh and he was actually using some orange and some of the tags and stuff like that so i think that's interesting Oh. So let's skip ahead just for time because I know the story. Um, we can go really deep. I, we could do a whole episode on this. Hell but yeah. um, just real quick, um, Gialto talks about, or I guess he's interviewing um, uh, Venture. He uses a tool called thumbsup.tv to be able to preview what your thumbnail is going to look like uh, on YouTube. I did notice when I was making thumbnails for uh, Marcus's channel. That especially on mobile, the time, the timestamp for your video is on the bottom right corner. And I realized that when I put stuff in the bottom right corner, it didn't show up uh, very well on mobile. So I remember to just kind of, it's good to preview it so you could see kind of what it's going to look like when it's actually on YouTube. Um, just wrapping up here, any other points you want to, um, you want to, you want to throw out? Um, no, just the, like uh, you, on the thumbnails. Just like you said, Matt, we could easily do an entire episode just on this subject because it's so yeah. overlooked and it's 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 100 percent. I'll, I'll i'll make this statement it's the most underutilized aspect of youtube marketing 90 percent of the youtube channels that i'm out there uh, doing an audit for or assessing uh, the first thing i'm recommending that the content creator does is just start following best practices for their thumbnail that one change will will likely be uh, enough to to get your channel um off of that plateau if you're stuck or you're not seeing the growth that you know that you can that you can generate uh, because you're creating great content, right? But uh, you need to give people a reason to click. That's the last thing. Yeah. All right. For all the digital marketers out there that are familiar with the concept of funnel hacking. So funnel hacking is when you want to build a funnel, you find someone else who has maybe a similar funnel or even in a completely different industry and you model their funnel, right? So if they have a video at the top, you have a video at the top and they have testimonials right below that, you have testimonials below that. And that's how you can create the framework for your funnel. Same thing is with thumbnails. When I was making thumbnails for Marcus's channel, um, I actually looked up what uh, font Mr. Beast was using. It's called Oblex Pro, I think. And I downloaded that off of, uh, I think it was like Font Awesome or something like that, put it into Keynote, and I started using that. And I was, and I saw he would have his picture, for example, on the left, and then like an object on the right. And then I, you know, I was kind of just modeling that, playing with it. So when you're, you know, Doing this, if you're not if you're not a designer or whatever, look at it doesn't even have to be a channel within your industry. It could be a completely different industry. But mm -hmm. if there's thumbnails that really pop to you, um, then you can model that. I'm not saying copy them, you're not gonna take their images, stuff like that, right? But you could really you can model that. And that's kind of like a quick cheat. But knowing this to me, the big thing that I learned out of the thread was this uh the complementary colors. To me, that's yeah. that that I did not, I was not aware of which colors complement which. I do know to have two colors that, you know, can, can pop, but I didn't know there was actually like a chart for this. Um, I was unaware. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And just to wrap this up, I mean, success leaves clues. Like Matt was saying, you don't want to copy anyone uh, blatantly, uh, but you're, you're going to want to follow this, this uh, venture PSD or venture person on um, Twitter. Then we also, uh, another example I'm sharing my screen here right now is a Amir. I don't know, or a Amir. I don't know if that's how uh, uh, the name he goes by, but this is another one that I found that does an uh, amazing thumbnail work. And then finally, the last thing that I want to mention is Roberto Blake. Okay. He is, easily one of the most successful YouTubers that I've been consuming content from for ages. And uh, believe it or not, he actually got his start out as a graphic designer. So he is still doing his own thumbnails to today. But he's got a very unique perspective that I like to pay close attention to because he was a traditional graphic designer before exploding and, and creating uh, just an amazing amount of success on YouTube. So he's got the YouTube perspective and, and the graphic designer perspective. So take a look at his thumbnails too to get you some 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 ideas on how you need to uh, up up the level of uh the game that you're using on your uh thumbnails and by the time uh matt you and i are watching this video a year from now i suspect our own thumbnail game will be a lot better i want to see some uh some legit thumbnails on our next round oh yeah oh yeah i want, I want something to be an orange blue and orange <laughs> we're gonna be raising all our right game. <laughs> all right moving on um read jd on twitter who i believe this is mr beast's manager he posted about this. I thought it was very interesting. He said, absolutely crazy year for Mr. Beast. Gained an average of 100,000 subscribers a day. 25% of his new subscribers are from the Squid Game video. It's crazy. First time in years, P-Series is not number one in growth. So I think this is interesting on multiple levels. So one is there's still a lot of people out there who don't know who Mr. Beast is. Um, <laughs> Especially like last year, I don't nobody knew who he was. Uh, like a lot of people, like in the you know, call in the real world, not in the YouTube world. So I think it's really interesting that he's growing so much. What do you think it is that's making him grow so much this year versus this past years? I mean, he's just had exponential growth. Well, what are your thoughts, sir? YouTube marketing is fantastic with compounded growth. That's just especially with the kind of content that Mr. Beast promotes, right? I'm gonna I'm sharing my screen here, and I need to lead the, this off with uh, this bit of news here, Matt, just because it's too epic not to uh, not to point out right off the bat. But uh, I got this uh, this um, tracker up on my screen right now that showed that just recently, probably late last night or early this morning, Mr. Beast surpassed 200 million subscribers amongst all of his channels. Uh, that is absolutely exceptional and incredible. His main channel uh, has got a little over 92 and a half million subscribers right now. And I can't, I can't wait to see what he does when he breaks 100 million on his main channel. He, he, um, something that you and I talked about recently, and I'm going to share this on my screen too. He was recently on, on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And you, you can't see the full episode, obviously, on YouTube because of, of uh, Joe Rogan's deal with Spotify. But you can see this 15 minute clip. And uh, you and I watched this entire episode, Matt. I'd be curious to get more of your feedback about it. I think it was painfully obvious that that Mr. B and I talked about it just earlier on in this in this chat that we're having. Mr. Beast was willing to go through the suck phase. He surrounded yeah. himself with people that were just as equally, if not more, obsessed with uh, YouTube uh, as he was. Uh, and all they did for like over a thousand days was analyze YouTube content and figure it out how they were able to improve their their own process their own content creation ability he also started young right so i don't know maybe marcus maybe your boy is the, the very next mr beast because marcus is starting out even younger than mr beast did when he started out right so it's, yeah. it's pretty pretty obvious that mr beast put in the reps he was he's obsessed yeah. and he even says in this conversation with joe that he has a difficult time talking to anyone about anything other than youtube because he's so obsessed and enjoys youtube so much that he he doesn't really know much about anything else but he is clearly in a league of his own i if if you haven't checked out some of his content go check it out his um his adaptation of um oh was that netflix show took my tongue uh squid game squid games yeah his adaptation of squid games was incredible like that one youtube video cost like three and a half million dollars to make it's incredible and you know that incredible. that one video got more viewers than all of netflix subscribers <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah blew up. Uh, so for digital marketers out there, what Mr. Beast described uh, about having a group of friends where all he did was obsess about YouTube was a mastermind. So, you know, in our world, we call it a mastermind. Right. So basically, he formed his own mastermind with other guys or girls, people that were that were uh, doing YouTube, and they just talked about YouTube all the time. Now, the other big thing is that, you know, he talks a lot about how he invests all of his money back into his videos. So that's another big thing. But... 
Yeah. If you're a believer in, in karma and goodwill, uh, uh, last year at some point, he started Mr. Beast Philanthropy. Yeah. And he started feeding a lot of people in rural areas in America. And I, because I'm a big believer in karma and just, you know, doing good things, I feel like that did some impact, whether it was, you know, you know, just, you know, good, good vibes in the world or just, you know, a lot of people there really appreciating the fact that, you know, he's giving away free food. Maybe they were more inclined to share and watch his videos or whatever, but I just love, and, and he also did the, the, um, ocean cleanup, uh, with, right. um, what's his name? Uh, um, Oh, don't forget Tim, his name because he, Tim. he was the one who, who organized it. Right. Um, uh, Rober, Mark Rober. That's it. Mark Thank Rober. you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because I, I noticed that like everyone kept like crediting Mr. Beast, but I think Mr. Ro Mark Rober is the one who kind of put it together and Mr. Beast like really backed it up, right? Um, so like they just did so much goodwill and that's what I really love. So one thing with Mark as being six years old, starting YouTube, I'm trying to help him find his voice and be able to speak competently. So I worked with him a lot on just being able to uh, vocalize what he's saying and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't put him in the videos cause he's still young. And I don't know whether or not when he's older, he's going to want to be in the videos, but he'll at least have that opportunities. He's, he's going to be, he, he'll know that he can make videos, you know, at any point he's going to have a channel. He's going to know what he can do. Right. But I really love the goodwill. Like I would love for him to be, you know, if he starts making money with it or whatever, to be doing something good for the community, for society and like that sort of thing. I just think it builds so much goodwill and just, you know, good vibes all around. So my feeling on this with his huge growth this last year and the fact that just last year he started Mr. Beast Philanthropy and all he's done with that, I feel like that plays into it at some, whether it be like, you know, as I'm saying, like, spiritually you know or just maybe it changed him and how he, and how he feels about creating content or whatever it is uh, i'm just very happy for him i think he's a great role model uh for for kids and adults and youtubers in general you know what you you raised a really good point there that actually ties into our one of our next stories and i think i'd That's like right. to i think i'd like to kick things off now with does a second channel boost your rankings it's a really great question to ask especially since we just finished talking about mr beast and all of his different channels and i've got a theory right. on this i haven't actually seen any youtuber or any youtube experts actually create a lot of uh, uh educational content on this subject yet but I, I i i see something something's percolating right now because success leaves clues and when you see people like mr beast or um, Graham Stephan, who has five YouTube channels, or Evan Carmichael, mm. who has, I've lost track. I think Evan Carmichael's got like 12 or 15 YouTube channels right now. And yeah. there's there's clearly a reason why all of these successful YouTubers are rolling out different YouTube channels. And there's there's reasons behind this because your viewers are going to want to consume certain kinds of content and they're not going to want to consume certain kinds of content. So if you want to, if you already have a successful YouTube channel or a quickly growing YouTube channel, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to start adding a bit of this and a bit of that, uh, or let's like a reaction, some, a bunch of reaction videos or a podcast or what have you. It might actually mean that if you create a web, a web of YouTube channels that are all, uh, they're all you. So that's, that's the common denominator across all the various different YouTube channels. But ultimately, it's all about adding content that your subscriber has subscribed for. The cardinal rule in YouTube marketing is never upload a video that your subscribers didn't subscribe for because now you've given them a reason to unsubscribe. And assuming that you've grown on YouTube the right way, following best practices, and you're not... Uh, you're not attracting uh, a less than ideal viewer and, you're, and those subscribers are rich, they're the perfect kind of subscriber for you, then it's going to, you're going to want to experiment. There's going to be times to, to split test some different kinds of content and see how it performs. And if it doesn't perform well, it doesn't mean that you can't make that kind of content. It might just mean that you should spin up a second or third or fourth YouTube channel and put that format, that very, very different kind of format that you, ju that you just want to test out. Maybe it's time for you to put that on a brand new YouTube channel, or perhaps you don't want to um, mess with the YouTube AI too much. So you might want to spin up a brand new YouTube channel to do that kind of experimentation because you don't want to mess with a good thing. You know, the, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, there's lots of people out there that have multiple YouTube channels. And they, I mean, do they know something that we don't? There's clearly a reason why uh, that, uh, that we would argue that it would make sense for you to spin up a new YouTube channel. So what do you think about I that? I think Matt? it has something to do with the algorithm. 
I remember noticing, and this is why we brought this up, is like I noticed this a while ago and I was wondered about this and I was asking Andrew about this. So um, about a year ago, I was really into um, playing Call of Duty Warzone. And uh, somehow some, a video came up and it was from uh, Nick Merckx, but it was from Nick Merckx had just started a second channel. And I, I had never heard of Nick Merckx before. And it was called More Nick Merckx. And I saw that video. It was the very first one he put out. It was a cool video, right? It was like a bunch of clips from playing Warzone. Then I discovered Nick Merckx and he just became my favorite Call of Duty Warzone uh, YouTuber, right? And I just saw his growth from his channel. I forget where he was at. I want to be able to say what it was. I, ca I can't remember where. I, I feel like he was under a million subscribers at this time. I could be wrong about this. I just checked. He's at 4 million right now. But I remember just watching his growth just go nuts. And he was even talking about it in his videos. That he's like, oh, welcome to all the new subscribers. Because there's a lot of people who found him. I think something happens in the algorithm when you have a second channel. I think one is maybe if you're uploading at a certain frequency and then you want to have even more videos maybe that's the time you make a second channel i don't know what it is i i'm very curious to know about this i do know when mr beast is making other channels he's also going for other types of content so he has like his reaction stuff and he has mr beast philanthropy channel uh he has uh mr beast gaming where he's playing minecraft and he's got his main channel but then he also did a bunch that were in different languages so obviously that would make sense to have different channels for that um but yeah, I'm very curious what it does in the algorithm and at what point you should make a second channel and start creating content specifically for that second channel. I'm curious if there's any data out there or if anybody knows about this. Very curious. We also talked about the whole idea with shorts. So YouTube is really pushing on YouTube shorts right now. And Andrew and I were talking about what to do there. Andrew's suggestion was second channel. And Andrew, what's your... You know, I know you, you you told me a whole bunch of reasons why we should do a second channel for shorts. You want to tell the listeners? Yeah, should should creators focus on YouTube shorts? So these this is my thoughts on this. I've been in the YouTube game for a long time now, and YouTube dominates in long format content. There's no disputing that. There's no argument against that. Whereas other channels, other platforms tend to, not tend, they, they dominate the short format content. And now YouTube is trying to get a piece of that action, right? Because ultimately controlling the attention is what generates revenue for all these different platforms. So you could argue that TikTok and, and Instagram are, uh, are much more serious players when it comes to short format content. I, I subscribe to the thought that YouTube really should be uh, doubling down and tripling down on what they're already really good at because uh, I've talked to a lot of people about this subject, including many YouTube experts. And typically when people want to go deep on a subject and learn about a subject, they're conditioned to go to YouTube. And that's what YouTube really shines. Whereas if you want to consume more snackable content, it tends to be more surface level. So it really does depend on the kind of viewer, the kind of consumer that you're targeting. And if you're if you're in the kind of niche or, or vertical where staying more surface leveled uh, is, is, is best practice, then yeah, you might want to uh, focus a lot more on TikTok or Instagram. But um, my viewpoint on this is I, I don't tempt, I, like you and I were talking about this, I don't really like how shorts are appearing in the, the gallery view, the, the, the feed view of your channel. I think it looks kind of messy and uh, cluttered and, and un unorganized. Maybe that's just my, my OCD kicking in. Uh, so there's that aspect. There's the aspect that they're, that. yeah. <laughs> and then there's yeah. the aspect that they're not, they're not monetized under the normal revenue model, the YouTube ad That's revenue right. model that uh, YouTube uh, has, has been so famous for. And you could argue that YouTube has, has uh, knocked that strategy out of the park that so many other platforms are still struggling to this day. They can't replicate the same kind of uh, compensation success and model that YouTube has so just dominated. It's so much easier. There's so many people out there talking about how they can generate millions and millions of views on TikTok, but it generated like 300 bucks. Whereas if you're generating millions and millions of views on YouTube, you're doing quite well. Yes, it depends on what niche you're in, what kind of CPM that you can generate. And because every niche is going to be more, some niches are going to be more profitable than others, right? There's not, that, that's no secret, but it's going to be a lot easier for a content creator to, um, to become sustainable and generate re real revenue for themselves if they're on YouTube versus another platform. Um, so what I've been leaning towards, and I've talked to a lot of YouTube experts about this, is that uh, you could create a clips channel. And you could also create a shorts channel where the entire channel is clips repurposed from your long format content. And the entire shorts channel is repurposed from your either your clips or your long format content. Because 
now you're creating a brand, piggybacking off of the other subject we were just talking about and the power of, of rolling out some additional YouTube channels and creating a web uh, that you can cast a wider net of people that some people prefer to go deep and, and consume long format content. Other people are just looking for that quick snackable content. There is also an option where if you do want to add shorts to your, your one and only channel because you don't really want to, you're thinking, Andrew, I don't want to deal with the, all of the, uh, the headaches and workload of, of managing multiple channels. I'm just going to add it to my new channel, despite what you guys say. You could actually set uh, upload it in such a way where you can uh, check a little box or uncheck a box. I can't remember if you're checking or unchecking the box so that your um, your existing subscribers don't actually see the short so that those shorts are only visible to new subscribers, new viewers that are discovering your content for the very first time. With the idea is that you suck them in with the short that's not monetized. And then they discover your brand, they, they start consuming more of your long format content, and then they become a subscriber and actually revisit. YouTube loves repeat visitors, repeat visitors. Uh, sorry, repeat returning viewers is what I'm trying to say. But um, but there's a lot of data out there that suggests that it's the shorts are really fantastic at capturing those net new eyeballs. But you you need to reinforce those net new eyeballs with with some more more substance, right? Because there there's there are some drawbacks of shorts. Matt, what are you thinking about that? Right, I just uh, I pulled up this tweet by uh, Colin and Samir it just came out uh, a few weeks ago, but he says here they're showing a graph. It says on the left is a YouTube short that took us a few hours to make. On the right is a long form video that took us a few weeks to make, and you can see that the shorts brought in fifteen point six thousand subscribers, and that long form one brought in ten point seven thousand. So there, there's what you know. In the next tweet over, it says, "While shorts aren't that monetizable yet, they are driving a ton of growth for us in a low lift way." Um, so I think there's definitely benefit to it. I don't know if Colin and Samir are putting those on their main channel. I'm actually just going to check right now. Oh, that's, yeah, and while you check that, I'm going to chime in here too, because yeah. we, we, we need to take this with context because yeah, they're sharing these screenshots with us. And I love that you found this tweet, but we can, it's not just the number of subscribers that the content attracted. Let's look at the audience retention. So you can see on the short that the length of this short is only 31 seconds and the retention looks pretty good. Uh, the retention rate is 90%. And the average view duration is only 27 seconds. If we look at the next screenshot, the average view duration is over eight minutes with a, a lower percentage because we're talking about long format content now. This is almost a 19 minute video, right? I would argue that that video, although it attracted less subscribers, that video is actually far more valuable to to uh, to them because uh, it's that one's monetized. So that video is actually generating them revenue that they can reinvest into their business and. Ultimately, at the end of the day, watch time is far more valuable on the YouTube platform than views because YouTube is trying to attract the attention of your perfect viewers and they want to keep you there. They want to, because that's how YouTube generates revenue. Ultimately, if you become a successful YouTuber, it's because you became a really effective business partner with YouTube. If you can only convince someone to be on your channel for 27 seconds, YouTube is going to go, eh. But if you convince your your viewer to stick around for over eight minutes, I'm telling you, YouTube is going to shower you with a lot more attention, a lot more uh, uh, algorithm love. Um, and that's just me speaking from personal experience from working with geez, dozens of YouTube channels and, and publishing well over a thousand videos at this point in my career. So that's what uh, that's what I had to highlight there. We're, we're not seeing the entire picture with these screenshots. We're only getting you know a narrow viewpoint of, of the overall picture. There's a time and place for both. And yeah, Matt, I don't know if you were able to determine if those shorts yeah, are on their the, main channel. The shorts are on their channel. And I'm just looking here at the channel. And like if you were to count up all the views from all these shorts versus their long form, it is far outweighing the amount of views that they're getting. And I think whenever there's a new feature on a social media platform, you should use it. Um, they're always going to give it more exposure. Like when Facebook Live first started, you know, if you went live, like it just showed everybody that you were live, you know? So anytime there's a new feature, I think you should jump on it. If there's a new social media platform, you should jump on it right away. That's how you're going to get growth right away. So I do think in terms of you know, algorithm and like, you know, like making your channel uh, look good to the YouTube gods. I think that having some shorts on your channel will probably help, but I don't like how the feed looks. And when I go to their channel, I mean, I can see based on their thumbnails, which are the long form videos versus the shorts, but 
yeah, I'm not clicking on the shorts uh, myself. I'm not a big shorts person, but I mean, just looking at this, the amount of views are getting on these shorts is incredible uh, versus their long form content. So I think there's definitely some of the shorts. That's fair. Yeah. And I completely agree with you there. When a platform rolls out a brand new feature, you definitely want to uh, capitalize that to a certain extent and try your very best to follow best practices, which can be difficult because it's a brand new feature and people are still trying to figure out the bugs and what's best practice and what uh, what goes against the grain. But um, yeah, it's uh, there's multiple different ways you can play it. And I I, I just fall back to the fundamentals and look at what the most successful content creators do. And I'm like, okay, monkey see, monkey do. If they're doing that, then it's probably a good idea. <laughs> All right. Last story here. Uh, mm -hmm. YouTube put out this article about 10 ways to monetize on YouTube. And the first thing they mentioned here is around shorts. They have a shorts fund. They're saying it's a $100 million fund distributed between 2021 and 2022. And uh, you can receive between a hundred to ten thousand dollars based on viewership and engagement on stories. So very curious about that, about like how that actually went. They have other funds they do as well. So they have the Black Voices Fund. They also have a Kids Fund, which I did not know about. I should check that one out for Marcus. Oh, cool. Um, obviously, monetizing um, ads. You know, um, premium YouTube premium. People have YouTube premium and they're watching your um, your content. You also get paid for that. They have channel memberships, which I guess this is only for. Uh, it's exclusive content. Yeah. It, but can but how do you unlock channel memberships? I haven't seen that before. Oh, you is have that to like get, Patreon? Uh, it's like Patreon, but it's built within the YouTube platform, and you have to have at least ten thousand subscribers as of right now. That might oh, change. interesting. Yeah. Super chat. So while you're doing live streams and so on, I've seen this. I see super chats being implemented on other platforms too. People can basically like buy credits, I guess, or like I don't know what they call it. Is it like, is it, what do you buy when you like, cause you can like gift when you gift to the, you know, through the chat, you can gift and then like they'll feature your question or comment and so on. Yeah. What do they what, call what, it? Yeah. You yeah, buy? yeah. Yeah. No, you, you nailed it. Yeah. It, it you're, you're, uh, Oh, super. Thanks. There we go. Your con. Oh, you're talking about the thanks. Yeah. That's a little bit different. I guess. But yeah. The super chat yeah. is more highlighted, more visible. It's more likely the content creator is going to see your, your comment and respond to your comment, And they're going to be much more inclined to respond to your comment because you've contributed in a financial capacity to their channel, which, um, clearly the content creator is going to appreciate. So, yeah. Oh, I see. So you, you buy a super chat. That's basically what this, you know, call it a coin would be, um, like a credit. And then there's well, a super thanks. Yeah. And, the, which, and the, bigger, the bigger contribution you make, the, the longer your chat is visible for during that live stream. Yeah. Right. And then they have super stickers. So, okay, I got you. So they're called supers. Okay. So yeah. All super of these chat, super things are super like thanks, for live events. Super yeah. sticker. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got merchandise, which is interesting that they put merchandise on what is that? So brand and merchandise right on their watch page. I've not seen this. It's it's a merch shelf. And again, it's one of those features that becomes unlocked to the larger your channel becomes. I want to mm. preface this though. You've heard me say it before and I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. The point is not just to attract every single subscriber and their dog to end up unlocking these features. The point is to make sure you're attracting the right subscribers. You'll thank me in the long run. Trust, trust me on that. And yeah, when you get to 10,000 subscribers, you can unlock that merch shelf and you can start selling t-shirts and hoodies and t baseball hats and whatever. Yeah, you're right. So um, it's 10,000. I'm just looking at this. So how, did they take a percentage? Oh, uh, that's a really great question. Oh, I'm going to have to no, double no, check no. that. Supported, supported merch retailers. And then um, you have to work with one of these, um, I guess you call that like a drop ship, you know, where like where you create your merch, but it's like, they're showing like Spring as an example, formerly Teespring, where you could like design your shirts on that platform. And then when people order it, and it's, you know, so I guess that's the idea versus if you created it yourself and then you're like, you can't put your Shopify store. That's what I'm seeing here. And then ticketing. And then what does ticketing work with? Is that like Eventbrite? Oh, that's yeah. For music fans. What does it say here? Um, I, I've never used this one. This one's a little bit more obscure. Ticketmaster. Yeah, go directly to your ticketing partners' sites to purchase tickets. Obviously, there's got to be some kind of kickback or something. Uh, with it's Ticketmaster. I haven't yeah. used that one. Yeah, that's a really more of a more of obscure uh, revenue model. And then and Brand then Connect, YouTube I don't actually have Connect, any. Yeah. I don't have any uh, experience with either. But clearly, they have some aspect where uh, YouTube will help uh, pair a brand with the YouTube content creator. Uh, because they're, they're, I mean, really, we have a list here of ten ways that you can monetize your YouTube channel, but 
honestly, this is just a drop in the bucket. There's like 50 different ways a, a YouTuber can like, there's affiliate marketing. There's so many ways you can monetize your YouTube channel. This is just a drop in the bucket. So if you, if you don't, if you don't see an opportunity to monetize your channel from any of these 10, because maybe your channel is too small still, uh, trust me, you can monetize your channel. There's lots of ways. I just want to throw out because I was doing some research on platforms that are connecting uh, uh, brands with creators. And I came across a story about FameBit. And FameBit was actually acquired by Google back in like 2016, which was one of the first platforms. It actually came out of one of those uh, tech incubators. I don't know if it was like Techstars or um, I forget which one it was. Um, and uh, so they were acquired. And so that's a platform to connect brands with creators. So they have, it says here in the article, it's like, it was, it's called, now it's called YouTube Brand Connect, formerly FameBit. Um, so I do think that that space of connecting brands with creators, I think that's still uh, going to grow uh, exponentially. So um, I have not used uh, Brand Connect, but I'm curious to see what that has become. Um, so yeah, it's basically working with brands. I will say, I love what YouTube says at the end here. At YouTube, we share in celebrating every new milestone, hit, or goal achieved. As creators become the next generation of media companies, we'll continue yes. to deliver more ways to help them do just that. I love that. The next generation of media companies. That's interesting. <laughs> I do. Th I remember seeing another tweet. I think it was also by, um, what's his name? Um, uh, by Reed JD. I thought I had it marked down here somewhere, but he was talking about how the creator industry is going to become a, oh, it's actually in our next, in our next episode. Yeah. It was going to become a hundred billion dollar, um, economy he's predicting in the next few years. So actually let's just pull it up right now since I just talked about it. So here it is. So in 2016, he says creator marketing, sorry, sorry, the tweet is. It's just, it's crazy how much money continues to flood into creator marketing since I started my business in 2015. In 2016, it was a $1.7 billion industry. 2018, a $4.6 billion industry. 2020, a $9.7 billion industry. And in 2022, a $16.4 billion industry. So he's saying, when is it going to hit $100 billion? In five years, maybe? You know, it's... I see this transition happening even faster because of how cookies are now working in browsers. So Apple killed the cookie. And because of privacy and all that, Google is now saying they're phasing out the cookie. Um, and cookies are what track us when advertisers, such as if you want to advertise on Facebook and you want to advertise to certain demographics, it's that cookie that's been tracking us and that's getting phased out. So the big question is, what is going to replace the cookie? And there's a lot of different technologies right now that are being discussed. But in the meantime, I think that a lot more brands are turning to creators to reach their audiences because you can look at a creator, you can know the data of their audience because uh, you still get that from YouTube as an example. And that's why I think that all this advertising money is going to go from Facebook into YouTube. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I think this hundred billion, you know, I think that could, I think in less than five years, I think that's, that's why I'm so ambitious and passionate about the creator industry. I think it's just going to grow. It, it's already, it's already happening, Matt. I, I'm not, I'm not a paid expert. I've never pretended to be. I'm definitely an organic marketer, but I work and I collaborate with a lot of paid advertisers. And I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say to me over the last few months, oh yeah, Facebook ads, no bueno, not doing that anymore. I moved over to YouTube. We, we get way better results. We don't get shut down. Our, our account doesn't get shut down, blah, 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 blah. I just, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that conversation right now. So it's, it's, we're already seeing a, a massive influx of uh, paid advertisers leaving Facebook and going to YouTube. Yeah. I stopped advertising on Facebook years ago because of that. I just, I couldn't stand all the, uh, like sometimes my ad would get disapproved over something that like had nothing to do with the ad. Like I remember one time my ad got disapproved. People are fed up. saying it was like They're political. Just and People I was like, dumb. this is not political at all. I'm like, I'm not even talking. It was just like, you know? So yeah, I think that that's one thing about Facebook that they should have, you know, fixed a long time ago. Uh, on this, I'm just curious, what do you think about this? Who do you think is going to be the first YouTube billionaire youtuber creator that makes a billion dollar or has some billion dollar valuation or whatever you want to say i i wouldn't i wouldn't bet against mr beast i think mr Beast. but he's spending probably, all his money i don't know that's what spending, i think because he's yeah. yeah 
Yeah, he spent. He's reinvesting all of his money. I mean, once upon a time, Facebook was a free platform, right? There wasn't any, and then once they had enough uh, market penetration, then they started monetizing the hell out of it. That's right? true. And he maybe is a that, media company. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Mr. Beast is following a similar mo- similar model. Right now, he's reinvesting everything. But what's to say he doesn't? Uh, and he's. I I truly believe, especially after seeing that intro, or sorry, the interview he had with uh, Joe Rogan, he's never going to stop giving money away he's always going to contribute to society and people who are struggling and i love that uh for all the reasons that you've already highlighted for us but uh what's to say that he doesn't uh stop uh stop out uh, shut off the the drip to a certain extent and then uh and then just watch him become the wealthiest man on the planet <laughs> him well, and elon musk like he's going head to head yeah he, uh, you know, he's he he has his own studio now. He, they made like a huge studio with like they could film like four big videos at a time or whatever it was. I remember watching about that. But uh, it'd be interesting, like if he's building like a media company like Netflix, like Disney, and so on, right? And if he starts, you know, maybe producing other channels or whatever. I mean, that's one way. Also, just kind of the characters and assets that he could be creating from that. Um, but I also see like. Nelk Boys, you know, when they did their NFT launch uh, with MetaCard and kind of what they have planned, they seem quite ambitious about what they're doing. Don't know if they'll hit a billion, maybe, but I think that they also have a chance to uh, possibly become the first billionaires on YouTuber. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Mr. Beast like went public or something like that. You could like buy shares in him. That would be very interesting. Oh, that'd be exciting. Uh, yeah. Gary V. Gary V is another one that, uh, you know, I, I could see him doing it. Yep. Yeah, uh, I just want to see him buy the Jets. <laughs> I just want to. Yeah. I just. I want I, that yeah. so bad. It'll, be, it'll be a funny day. It'll be funny the day that Gary <laughs> buys buys the Jets. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I could see like yeah. I don't know. I think those are the my top three choices of like who might be the first YouTube billionaire. Um, I don't know what PewDiePie is up to lately. PewDiePie's yeah, killing. Yeah, I'd have to not. look him up too. He was he was he was number one in subscribers, you know, for a long time. So. For a long time, yeah. yeah. He's been dethroned. Yeah, he's a what? I used to watch PewDiePie uh, quite a bit. (laughs) Anyways, uh, let's wrap it up here. So for all you content creators out there, maybe you're like me, maybe you want to throw on a a headset. Uh, Matt is letting me hang on this episode with uh, being the only uh, headset wearer on this episode. But um, I got got my new AirPods. He's got his new... Everyone wants to rock the new toy. I get it. But maybe you're like me. You're a content creator. You're a marketer and you want to jam uh, to some uh, music. And so what we did is we created a playlist, Spotify Spotify playlist. We're going to include the link in the description below for you, you guys to go ahead and add your favorite choices. Uh, think of the music that you want to listen to that really helps you get into the zone uh, because we want to create a playlist that a bunch of content creators and and marketers love to uh, put on repeat because that's when they find they're they're the most effective, the most productive, right? So don't forget to subscribe to the channel for more content like this. We're on Spotify and all the different uh, podcast platforms out there and right here on YouTube. Take care. Awesome, guys. Take care.